0: ClinicalTrials.gov, the world's largest database of publicly and privately funded clinical trials information. Millions of people visit the site every month to learn about what's going on in the world of clinical trials, but what do you as a researcher or as a NIH recipient organization need to know about reporting your information, your trial results, to ClinicalTrials.gov? My name is David Kossib, and this is NIH's All About Grants. national institutes of health in bethesda maryland this is all about grants i'm glad to say that we have with us dr anna fine she is the acting director of clinicaltrials.gov which is housed within the national library of medicine and i welcome you to the show anna
1: thank you thanks for having me happy to be here
0: great great well let's just jump right in with the easy one what is clinicaltrials.gov and what is someone going to find there
1: oh Great question, thanks for asking. So clinicaltrials.gov is a database and a website and it contains research studies conducted around the world. We currently have over 460,000 studies listed with us and you have easy access to search for the clinical trial information. As you mentioned, this is provided by the National Library of Medicine at the NIH. So seeing that we're a library, we are a shelf where these studies can reside free of charge. We're not the authors of the study, so having uh, one listed on a government site does not actually mean that it's evaluated or endorsed by the federal government, um, but it is available for millions of users, including patients and advocates and researchers and health professionals who search it daily.
0: And and folks who are uh, clinical trials aficionados are well aware of the. The fact that the NIH has a policy about reporting clinical trials information, but before we kind of jump into some of that, you know, I, it's important to explain requ- why we like to ensure this information is reported to clinicaltrials.gov. Can you kind of talk more about that?
1: Yes, this is my favorite question because we're passionate about transparency. Registering clinical trials when they begin, providing timely updates, submitting summary results, and making the information publicly available fulfills a number of purposes and it benefits a variety of people. For those who take part in the trials, they're making the information available um, that fulfills an ethical obligation For those participants that are contributing to science and the body of information. Volunteers want their participation to help advance medicine. And those who are seeking to conduct trials, it informs their research. What's been done? What other questions remain? How can I do a study better from what might have already been done? subsequently informs decisions where to invest and assists with good stewardship of limited research resources. And then not all studies and results information are published in literature and literature can also have limitations. So a trial database provides the space as well as a consistent structure. We've had um, studies that have been published and they would be able to point right back to clinicaltrials.gov from there where you can find more information that didn't quite make it into the limited space of a journal article. Prospective registration also supports the ability to understand if the study fulfilled what you set out to do. So it really promotes research integrity. And having a reliable source where patients and organizations can seek trials, it supports enrollment. Registering with us can help these patients find the trials and perhaps help your enrollment. So clinicaltrials.gov makes the information about research available to the public in a very centralized place that's free of charge, provided by our library.
0: So actually, jumping off that, the and making the information publicly available to anyone who's kind of looking at it, um, you know, what kind of information was is actually in there that's part of NIH that's required as part of NIH-funded studies.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I did say that you do need to register these studies when they first occur, because that's the whole prospective, making sure that it fulfilled the question that you set out. You can't change your study along the way as you find that you're learning um, a better way that you could be responding to it. So sponsors and investigators need to provide structured summary of the study protocol, why they're studying, uh, what they're studying, um, what are they studying, who's conducting them so people can find you if they have questions about your study or patients might know who to reach out to. The status, who's eligible to participate, a little more about the demographics. Where is it taking place? Is it in multiple locations? Is it somewhere on the East Coast, the West Coast, overseas? Um, And then of course, as I mentioned, the summaries are really important because it helps people find and learn about what's ongoing or what might be completed. And then of course, the information needs to be updated throughout the trial lifecycle. So if you're changing the recruitment, you might have been recruiting a couple months ago, but you're full, it's really important so patients know that. Uh, maybe a new location came available, became a really popular study, and you have uh, the resources where you can maybe open another location. That's important to update as well. And of course, if your research is complete, we're done, we're still kind of analyzing, um, you want to make sure you note know that so patients don't get their hopes up if they see that something might be recruiting when it truly isn't. Um, And finally, it's really important, your key research findings need to be submitted as well. The number of people who started, are they the same amount of people that completed the study? What was the demographics? Are they people like me? Are they people like you? Can I identify with the people that participated in this? Do they have similar characteristics that I have? Um, So that's part of their baseline measures. And then the outcomes, we do collect statistical analyses uh, and of course if there's any serious or adverse events that occurred that's important to include as well.
0: Definitely sounds like a, a lot of information out there that um, I guess our researchers or or recipients are having to input in there. I mean can you can you talk more about like what exactly the the researchers must be doing to especially as it relates to giving all this information?
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, if you are under the NH policy uh, the dissemination policy for NIH-funded clinical trial information. If you received any money from NIH, you are required to register, not just because it's such a great thing, as I discussed earlier, but because it's also a requirement for as part of the condition of funding. And in doing that, um, if you started your study on or after 2017, uh, the investigators are expected to register the trials within 21 days after first enrolling your first participant. And you can't just register and forget it. As I mentioned, The trial does need to be updated at least once per year at minimum. And then there's requirements. As it does change, there are some requirements. For example, if you change uh, some of the the contact information or your recruitment status, you have to actually update that record within 30 days of when that change has happened. Um, You must also submit the results information and it is one year after your final collection of data for your primary outcome, which is called your primary completion date. So we call that your PCD plus one. And you can delay if there are of course challenges or you have some additional time that's needed there are ways that you can actually delay on when you need to submit those results information. Um, And we have a process for that that we recently announced called the NIH Good Cause Extension Request Process and Criteria Document. And of course you do need to keep your contracts, managers uh, aware of all of this um, and requesting delay with them within NIH. So there's a lot of important milestones that you need to meet and we do have a lot of information on our site where you can learn a little bit more about those and making sure you're keeping up to date with your requirements.
0: I'll take a collective breath uh, for all of the researchers out there to say, oh, my gosh, that's a, that's a lot of things to keep in mind. Uh, but obviously, it's critically important, you know, as it relates to the NIH policy. And you know, are there any other policies that researchers should be thinking about? And I'll take the collective breath with them again.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, there are many laws and policies around the world that are also supportive of transparency and trial reporting. The European Union has their own rules as well and other regions and countries. The World Health Organization supports uh, basic data elements that we also have uh, for registration. And then within the US, there are other agencies as conditions of funding that also require you to register with clinicaltrials.gov. Um, as I summarize some of those basic requirements, they may differ different details from you know country to country or policy to policy, but the gist of it's the same. There is one key detail that I do wanna actually point out um, the International Committee of Medical Journal editors, if you'd like to publish, they do require registration of clinical trials before enrollment. There's slight differences that they require it before the first participant is to be considered uh, enrolled. Um, whereas in the US laws, it's within 21 days of first enrollment of um, a participant. I think that's really important if you want to publish to just note that slight difference, that you want to register your trial just before you're conducting it. Um, Don't wait maybe those 21 days, especially if publication is really important to you. And then, of course, federal law, beyond just NIH, uh, the dissemination policy, is implementing regulations. And so there's really important, you need to submit results for certain clinical trials of FDA-regulated drugs, biologics, and device products.
0: All right. Well, uh, we're breathing again, Um, but uh, so we've gone through like the information. We've talked a little bit about the policy, what people should be thinking about, you know, nuts and bolts type question. um, What actually is the process of, you know, reporting into clinicaltrials.gov?
1: Yeah, we understand investigators are really busy and don't have a lot of time. We try to make the process as easy as possible, but, you know, conducting a clinical trial is not that easy. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It does take work. You know, preparing data tables, figures, Um, it's similar to preparing for a journal article where you need tables and you need certain sections and you need to make sure you have the proper authorities and people signing off on your um, literature that you'd like to publish. So first, you know, investigators need to get access to the Protocol Registration Results System, also known as the PRS. So, the PRS is that web based data entry submission portal that we have for clinicaltrials.gov. It's just the ones where you, as the researcher or the investigator, that's how you're inputting your information that eventually shows up on our public website, which is called clinicaltrials.gov. Organizations that conduct clinical trials, such as academic medical centers, they generally administer and provide their investigators with access to a PRS account. So, you might have one administrator. Um, at your university uh, academic center uh, that has the ability to provide accounts for each of the investigators there and helps manage those. Um, next, you know the investigators or the staff need to enter the information about their clinical trial or the results. Um, and they go through a bunch of data elements uh, on the form that are required. And there's a very few that are volunteer. We, we ask you all the things that are absolutely necessary. We don't wanna ask for too much because we know you're so busy. Um, The PRS does provide extensive online and just-in-time help, that's some of the improvements that we've also been looking to make as we're modernizing the system. So as you're entering it and you're wondering, well, what do I put here? What What are you asking for? What kind of date am I putting here? There's definitions right off to the side that you can click on as you're going through that helps explain a little more of what those data elements are. And then, of course, we do have staff that can assist with any submission questions you have um, by email, phone. We've done video conferences. We do want to support you um, in having to do this. And once you enter the information in some organizations, you know, if they are administrators or you might have another individual within the study, they might review and help approve, um, making sure that you are just before you're hitting submission, making sure that everything's there that needs to be there and able to let release the record to us. Um, Records do come to us. As I said, they're not endorsed or really reviewed by government. It's more of a quality control review, like a library. Is the title there? Is there an author? Does it actually have pages? You know, does it have a title page? Does it have sort of a prologue? Those are some of the basic things that we're looking for. You know, is it in English? Um, So we're just looking for apparent errors or deficiencies or inconsistencies, just to make sure that you're putting the right information in the right sections, and then it's being consistent. You know, if you said you're studying, you know, 100 patients, did you only account for maybe 40 in your adverse events or whatever section that it might be relevant, um, we just review consistency. Um, and so then that information uh, for the registration side takes a few days before it becomes on our site. For the results information, as you know, it's a little more complicated as you're pulling together and summarizing all your data. Um, so that takes generally up to about a month before it'd be available on our site.
0: Reminds me that I need to get my uh, library books checked back in now, <laughs> all those titles checked out. Um, well, thank you very much, Anna. This has been great. Um, uh, before we leave, are there any other final thoughts you might want to leave with our audience about, you know, about gov reporting and, and and all that?
1: No, I think I just want to remind listeners that we're here to support you. We're here, we know it's not easy. Um, We know the work you're doing, the good work that you're doing, we wanna support you to the best that we can. So if you have questions or problems, you can reach us, email us at register at clinicaltrials.gov. Also just keep in mind that ensuring transparency and accountability is really good stewardship of NIH funds. And it's a shared commitment between NIH and investigators. We are your partner in achieving these important goals. So you can learn more about any updates that we have. We have a hot up the press um, e-newsletter and there's a wealth of information on our site to help you with learning a little more about what your commitments are. So thank you for letting me share that information.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much, Anna. This has been a great opportunity to uh, learn more about the reporting requirements for clinicaltrials.gov and what our researchers should be thinking about. I encourage everyone to go check out the resources that she mentioned, the, the hot off the PRS, hot off the press uh, newsletter. It's, I love that title. And ask them questions if you experience any any issues or have any comments or questions they, they want to hear from you. This has been David Kossip with NIH's All About Grants. Thank you.